Life drives almost everything we do. And I'm not talking about life in terms of money. What do you do when you lack dignity? You do something to gain dignity. What do you do when you lack purpose? You become ambitious. Ambition isn't a Christian quality. Ambition is so limited, so limited. It's like filthy rags. How much can you imagine with your two pounds of gray matter? Not much. God sets dreams, man sets ambitions, and then begins to pursue them. Lack drives everything. What's the solution to it? If you want to cut through lack, you have to come to the simple understanding which we talked about maybe two years ago. You have to understand that a son lacks nothing. A son lacks nothing. A son lacks nothing. Once you come to this place of understanding that a son lacks nothing, then you no longer try to fill a lack. Why? Because the moment you say a son lacks nothing, what are you saying? That my father has everything. You cannot say a son lacks nothing unless you come to the recognition that the father has everything. A son lacks nothing. So it no longer matters what I have in my wallet or I don't have. It no longer matters whether I have dignity in your eyes or not. It no longer matters whether I have purpose here on earth or not. Nothing matters anymore because everything that a man needs, the seven essentials that we've talked about, is provided not by anybody here on earth, but it is provided by the Father, which is why a son lacks nothing. You do not look at what you have to determine whether you have it or not. You look at someone. You do not look at what, you look at who. A son lacks nothing. And by the same token, a servant owns nothing. Because I'm a son first, then I'm a servant. So a son lacks nothing, a servant owns nothing. This is the prosperity gospel. Everything else is a distortion of this. A son lacks nothing, a servant owns nothing. Now, God begins to cause things to flow through your life at a rate you cannot imagine. No longer do I look at what I have or what I don't have to determine whether I actually have it or not. Because it actually is in the hands of somebody else who I'm vitally connected to, whose spirit and my spirit are one. So every time there is a lack, instead of trying to fill it, you fill yourself with someone, not with something. It's absolutely doable, guys. It's just a way of thinking. And then once it is filled, you do not own it for a second. You do not own it for a second. And once you decide that you don't own anything, what can Satan touch? Nothing. Hey, what do you think happens when he wants to disturb you? What does he touch? He touch one of these things. Your money, your dignity, or your pride. Your... Uh, possessions, your security. These are the things he touches. And so we react. Touch my security and now I've got to do everything in my power to secure it again. I'm going to control things. I'm going to manipulate things. Why? Because I've got to make things secure again. Touch my pride and I'll react again. Because I want my dignity restored. At the end of the day, if as a son you lack nothing, and as a servant, you own nothing. You finally come to this place where you are living free. This is why in John chapter 13, it puts it this way. Jesus knowing where he had come from. Where did he come from? From his father's house. 
What was he? A son. And knowing where he was going and how was he walking the earth as a servant? Knowing where he had come from and knowing where he was going, what did he do? He took a bucket of water, knelt down before his disciples and started washing his feet. Because his dignity did not depend on what you thought of him. Cut through life. Cut through life. Do you realize that it is possible that many of us will move, will take up jobs, will do things, will change situations. Why? To provide for a lack. Never be forced into doing anything because you have a lack. Lack is a cruel master. It'll drive you to do things, man. It competes with God, eh? It competes with God. What is lack? Lack at the end of the day is either having the security or not having the security that you need. And that's another word for mammon. Mammon actually is not money. Mammon is security. Mammon is security. It just so happens that mammon comes, money gives you security, so we connect mammon and money. But mammon at the end of the day is actually security. And we're constantly striving for it. Cut through lack. So, let's just pray. Father, some of us here uh, are driven by lack. All of us here are driven by some lack or the other. Sometimes it's a lack of money. Sometimes it's a lack of security. Sometimes it's a lack of dignity or worth. And we're constantly reacting, Father, to lack. Constantly being driven by it. Today, Father, we put an end to it. In the name of Jesus Christ, I break being driven by lack in my life. I break being driven by lack in my life. I don't want to be driven by lack, oh God. It, it, it's such a pathetic master compared to you. I repent, oh God. And I come saying that I want to be a son who owns, who, who lacks nothing because he has a good, good father. Teach me about that your pockets are full of everything I need for life and godliness, that you have it. And so as a son, I lack nothing. And as a servant, I will not own anything. I won't put my hand and hold anything, Father. My hands will always be open above. That then allows you to let things flow in and out of my life. We want this as a church, Father. We want this as a church. In Jesus' name. I don't know whether you know the story. Many years ago, Acts 29 was as generous as it is today. And it would run into the red every month. We didn't have money to pay the rent. We'd scrum. People would have to put in extra money to make the rent. And I remember asking Heidi, saying, hey, uh, is there something wrong with my giving? Just check my giving, because the pastor is a miser that the church won't prosper. And so she said, no, your giving has been fine. So started asking God as a leadership, Father, what is it that we're doing wrong? Why is it that we're going to the red every month? And so one of the things I felt the Lord saying was, whenever you raise money for India or Indonesia or any of those things, 
Even though you have money in the bank, you will come to the church and say to the church, let's raise some money for India. Let's raise some money for Indonesia. Let's raise some money for this. But you never touch the money in the bank because that's your nest egg. And we realized that our security was in the, with the money in the bank. So here's what we decided to do. We decided to break lack by giving away the very thing we lack. And so we took 60% of what was in the bank and gave it to three poor churches in Vancouver. Wrote out checks to three churches, and now we had less. And now the rent is coming up too. Because the one of the ways you break lack is by giving away the very thing you lack so that you have broken the fear that it has had over you. The torment that fear brings makes you get worse. So we gave it away. And uh, Two days later, a guy called Henry, who is no longer alive, uh, calls me from Abbotsford, and I knew him from eight years ago. And he had a dream, and in that dream, um, he's, uh, he had just sold his house, and in that dream, God is saying to him, call up Jacob, uh, his church is on Southeast Marine and Ross. Ask him whether his church is on Southeast Marine and Ross. And once he says yes, give him a part of the profits of the sale of the house. So this guy then, uh, calls me up and says, is your church on Southeast Marine and Ross? And we used to meet there at that. And he has no idea. So God shows him and I say, yes. He says, well, I just sold a house and I've got some profits from it. And God is saying, I've got to give you a share of the profits. I said, sure. And he sent us a check that was 10 times more than what he gave away. 10 times more. It was the largest check I had seen. And I remember waving it in front of the church and saying, guys, we repented corporately, God rewards corporately. At the end of the day, we must cut through lack. The next thing is cut through limitations. 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 Moses. Man, it starts in Exodus 3.14, eh? God begins to speak to Moses at the burning bush. I mean, if I had a burning bush experience, I'd be thrilled. Moses is thrilled, but God starts at Exodus 3.14. By the time it gets to Exodus 4.10, even God, who is patient and gracious and compassionate, is getting a little irritated. Because this man continuously is telling God how he can't do it. And in Exodus 10, was, uh, Exodus 4.10-14, to 14, look at what's happening. Exodus 4, 10 to 14. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, O Lord, please send someone else. And there is this whole idea of how we put limitations on ourselves, eh? Cut through limitations. A different spirit is the spirit that understands that if God is actually inviting you, either through a person or directly, that your limitations now are still there, but they no longer matter. Moses was perhaps a stammerer. Moses was perhaps someone who had lived far too long in the backside of the desert to have the qualities that he had when he was a prince of Egypt. But your limitations don't matter. Cut through limitations. If you want to be of a different spirit, 
Remember how old Caleb is. Caleb is now 84. And look at what he does. He doesn't even cut through limitations. He wants to challenge his limitations. He said, give me those hills. Give me those hills where the annex dwell. I'm 84. Don't give them to some young fellow who's 24. Give it to me. They have chariots that have wheels, that have spokes, that are made of iron that can rip other chariots apart. Please, 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 please give me the hardest job possible. Man, the limitations we... You know something? Of course you do. We can get so namby-pamby in the West, man. As in, everything seems to have some disease or some syndrome connected to it. Do this, don't do it, because the last time someone did this, this happened to them, that happened to them. Time for us Christians to rise up and say, these limitations do not apply. What kind of God is this? Everything has a syndrome or a name attached to it. One of the words I decided as soon as I came to Canada, because I heard it in every conversation every day, that I decided I would never use in my life, was the word stress. Got tired of hearing how, it didn't matter, if you didn't have coffee for a day, you were stressed. If you had traffic problems, you were stressed. There was nothing that wasn't stressful. And so I decided, Father, I'll use some other words. Because this is beginning to swallow me up. Words matter. I'm not, I'm not dissing stress. Stress is real in the lives of people and it has devastated lives. But, hey, we can't use the same limitations that the world is using and put it on us and say, this is how we are going to live. You can't put the limitation of your age on you and say, I'm now 84, therefore God cannot. You can't say, I've got a new job, therefore I cannot. You can't say, school has started again, therefore I cannot. You can't say, you can't say. You can't say. But Jacob, you're being unfair. You don't know how difficult my life is. I don't. But you don't know how difficult my life is either. And I will not say. Any questions or any challenges or any disagreements to what I just said? Guys, I'm not asking you to turn up in church and for meetings. I'm just asking you not to say no when God says yes. It's not about attending more meetings. You will not have time for that. But my God, when God says you do something, you better not bring up limitations. You stick through it. You stand up and say, I've counted the cost. I can't pay it. God will pay it. Or don't for a second think that what God is asking you to do, you can pay the cost for. You will count the cost. All Jesus meant by that parable when he spoke in the Bible of simple. He said, count the cost. As soon as you count it, you realize you can't pay it. And now that you can't pay, come depend on me, I'll take you through. He wasn't saying count the cost and then decide whether you'll follow me. Because if we counted the cost, none of us would follow him. I feel bad for these guys I met in Countess this morning. They have no idea what they're getting into. Some of you fell for the same trick. You have no idea what you were getting into. You said yes and then found out. Any questions, guys? Any any disagreements? 
Any challenges? Um, Where's Diana? Oh, <laughs> not good when Emily is on this side and Diana is there. It's like. Good job here, Emily. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> So, yeah, so let's take Paul as an example. Paul had limitations. Paul probably had bad eyesight. Paul was perhaps not very skilled at um, speaking, so he probably had something like a stammer. Paul was perhaps fat. He couldn't move around very easily. He talks about that. Paul was weak. Paul was infirm. Paul was beaten more than anybody else. But he had this ability, despite all these limitations, to keep plodding on, knowing that he had limitations. See, we haven't discovered this thing called when I am weak, he is strong. We do not understand it. When I am weak, he is strong is when the God of the universe who created the entire universe with his breath suddenly begins to come upon you and dwells upon your body, dwells upon your, on your, on your tired mind, invigorates your spirit where he lives, dwells upon your emotions and he literally tents and when he does that something strange begins to happen there's a verse in Acts 14 19 which blows my mind away so in Lystra some men from Derby and Antioch came and they caught Paul and they stoned him and they left him for dead after they had left Paul got up and look what he does I can understand the getting up and went right back into the city. If I had got up from being dead, I would go the other way. This man had absolutely no sense. He goes back right into the city because we have not. I pray God that one day God will give us enough insight to begin this study about what does it mean when it says that in your weakness I am strong? What does it mean when God says my power will come and dwell on you in your weakness? I've experienced it sometimes, where it is, you can be starved or sweet, where your body does not want to stand, but then you go up there and stand, and you're in pain because of a sickness or disease, and then you go up and stand. You've just had someone say something terrible that's devastated you had, and aha, and you go up and stand. You, you, you do not have the strength, and you go up and stand and something else happens. I, mean, I remember once going to this place called Uti. Heidi was there. Um, and then Anne and someone else came. Man, I was in such bad shape, but I knew that if I went and stood and began speaking, that the power of God would descend on me and my body would like be like a lean, mean fighting machine. The lean was my idea. The mean fighting machine was God's. I remember standing there hour after hour after hour. There is something to the power of God dwelling on something that is full. It transforms it. Because we are talking about someone who fills the universe, eh? We're talking about the spirit of God who was there before. I mean, you cannot imagine the chaos and the emptiness that existed. We do not understand darkness, emptiness, chaos. Light was before Genesis 1-1. And we never know this till we try it out. 
to find out something that transformation happened. Sin is far too many times felt, and others that I've seen in my life. I remember coming down from, you can ask Jeevan this, I'm telling you stories that, that people can actually verify. We're coming down from the mountains of Kedarnath, and I knew just one thing, that if I do not stay awake and keep praying, keep speaking in tongues, and keep singing, that after the damage we had done in those mountains to deities that are ferocious, that it would not be good. And so it didn't matter that it was a nine and a half hour journey for nine and a half hours, and I've never done this before in my life. For nine and a half hours, I was either praying or worshiping or speaking in tongues, because I knew that our safety depended on someone being awake. I can't do 30 minutes, man, normally. Like 30 minutes is way too much for me. And I don't pray much. Wrong confession. <laughs> <laughs> what I meant is, I don't pray long. Yeah. There are impossible things that we can do. Uh, guys, there is this thing to Elijah girding up his loins and running faster than Ahab's chariot. These things are real. And they are sheerly by the power of the Spirit of God. I am so glad that Acts 29 will experience it. I'm not saying one or two. This church will see what it is. To be a church that the Spirit of God has the ability to do things with. Because we are a bunch of nobodies, man. No talent here. Next one. We won't finish much. We may have to continue it later. Cut through the blame game. Cut through the blame game. Cut through the blame game. Started in the Garden of Eden. My wife made me, made me do it. And since then, there's been someone to blame for uh, things. And, and one of the things about having an excellent spirit or a different spirit is to stop the blame game. <coughs> Joseph, in Genesis 50, verse 20, is being confronted by his brothers who know that their dad has died, that Jacob has died, and now Joseph may have a free hand with them. And the one thing that prevented him from doing us harm is now removed, and now he's going to harm us. And he puts it this way. Hey, the cool thing about Joseph's statement is this. He isn't denying that his brothers treated him badly. He's saying, you actually intended me evil. When we say cut through the blame game, we are not saying do not assign blame to someone who's done you harm. Meaning the person harmed you. But what you intended as evil, God has turned to good. We're not exonerating those that did us harm. We've got to be careful of them so that they don't do us harm again. But we're not going to blame for more than a day those that have done us harm. More than a day is far too much. But Jacob, you have no idea how badly they've harmed me. True. So start the next day. So what if it takes you a year to get healed? But start the next day. The longer you pitch tent in that valley, the harder it will be to get out of the valley. I'm not saying it will go away in a day. Perhaps it will. God can do amazing things. But what if it is something that has to be worked through? Well then, start tomorrow.
But Satan started in Eden, Freud continued in the recent past. Right? He gave us permission to blame everything on someone or something. Time to stop it. And by stop, really, I don't mean exonerate the person. Say that, yeah, Sheldon, you meant to do me harm. But God used it for good. But you start immediately. You start the very next day. And then if it takes six months, that's okay. But start the next day. Because you've already begun climbing out of the valley. Any questions on that one? Hey, so, sure, your parents made mistakes and messed you up. Someone messed them up. And they messed you up. Someone's got to break the cycle. Sure, that pastor treated you badly. And now you're messed up for the rest of your life. Maybe nobody messed him up. Maybe he was just being nasty to you. Stop the blame game. How long? Man, what is at stake? At stake is our inheritance. What is this inheritance? God's eternal purpose through you here on earth that is now lying there waiting to be revived. Any questions? Jacob, you're not being sympathetic. No, not in this message. Maybe two weeks from now we'll talk about comfort. Because we can't incorporate all aspects of God in one message, eh? Yeah. Oh, well, it was a really good message, but he didn't bring in the comfort of God. We, I hardly have ten minutes. Next one. Cut through negativity. Cut through negativity because it leads to unbelief. Because it leads to unbelief. Cut through negativity. If you have really negative people in your life, um, either jump out of the boat or throw them overboard. One or the other. Because it will kill faith, it will lead to unbelief. Unless you cause that person. And you hope the person changes. And you stick to the person as long as you need to, and then even that, uh, yeah. But Jesus had to do this. He goes to raise um, that girl, and there are these mourners there that are continuously mourning because they were hired mourners. They were lamenting what had happened. And Jesus had to send them out. Why? Because of the unbelief that would come in when he was there to restore life. They are absolutely sure that she's dead. And she, and she was. And they continued saying it. Hey, all my life I've made sure that if I'm with someone who negates the purposes of God in my life, that I'll either speak contrary to that or I will leave your presence and not find you um, uh, as someone I want to hang out with. Because there are certain things that are so precious from God that I cannot have them trampled over. Cut through negativity. If you're a person who always speaks negatively, and there have been times when I've been like that, remember one thing, guys, you never possess what you despise. You never possess what you despise. You never possess what you despise. That is one of the lessons I have to learn. 
I, I realize that I despise things that certain pastors and certain churches do. And I despise them to a point where I don't even want to touch stuff like that. What then happened was as I began to despise the things that pastors do in a manipulative, um, um, dramatic, show-offy kind of way, there were good things that were perverted. And so what happened is Acts 29 began to miss out on the very things that God wanted to do in our midst because your pastor would despise those things. You never possess what you despise. Yep. Uh, example, um, I uh, despised big churches. I despised um, getting people to say things or call them to the altar and have them repent and stuff like that. I despised having the Holy Spirit fall on people because I thought there was so much drama in that. I despised people falling over after a while because I saw such charlatans who used to do it. I despised these things. But they are authentic. They have been distorted. And as you begin to despise these things, guess what? The people under your care are robbed of it. What you despise, you do not possess. through negativity. Really, if you're surrounded by uh, in-laws, uh, parents, brothers, sisters that are constantly bringing up that which is negative and God has given you a distant promise, then uh, you need to create six degrees of separation. Because that will keep you uh, from slipping into unbelief. Or have the courage to tell them that they should not be saying the things they're saying because you are believing for something else. Why? Because either the word has told you or God has told you. Let's do one more and then we'll stop. Cut through fear. Cut through fear. Cut through fear. Um, David, 1 Samuel 17, 32. Saul is kind of frightening, eh? David's going around. And, and, and that story so highlights this whole negative thingy. Uh, so he's going around saying, hey, why are you guys hiding? You just finished your morning prayer and praise Jehovah. So why are you guys diving into your foxholes after a worship service? And they say, uh, because there's this giant called Goliath coming up. So David says, so why doesn't someone take on the giant? And so his brother comes out and says, stop talking like a fool. Why are you, why are you saying stuff like this? Who, what are you here for? Who sent you here? But David knows that this is something that he can't stand. He has the faith it takes to bring down the giant. And so he goes to Saul and Saul scares him too. Saul is the king and he's scaring him, saying, uh, really bad idea for you to go up against Goliath. Oh, uh, the best thing you can do is perhaps wear my armor and you go and take it. And David has this whole idea of but I have fought the lion and bear. What can his uncircumcised skin do to me? He's a dog. So, cut through fear. Lack and fear cripple us, eh? Lack and fear cripple us. Lack and fear cripple us. Lack and fear cripple us. Fear, if not checked, grows exponentially. Fear is not, if not checked grows very, very quickly. It's one of the fastest growing things in the world. The rate at which fear grows is amazing. It just multiplies exponentially. 
And unfortunately, with fear comes torment. Because now the mind and the emotions are tormented. What's going to happen next? And this is why in 1 John 4, 18, it says, what it says, where it says that in perfect love, there is no fear. And perfect love casts out fear. Because fear carries in it this idea of punishment or torment. And anyone who does not, anyone who has fear does not love perfectly. Just think of that. If you're afraid of God, and by saying if you're afraid of God, some of us may have an awe or dread of God. If you're afraid that God will not come through, if you're afraid of God is neutral, if you're afraid of God is not active today, if you're afraid of God will not take care of me, if you're afraid of, if you're afraid of, then know that with it will come torment. So the only way to fight fear is to grab fear immediately by the throat and start choking it. Because one or the other will win. Either it will choke you or you will choke it. And it has to be immediate. One of the things I've learned is as soon as fear comes, gotta grab it by its throat and start squeezing the life out of it. Because it needs very little oxygen. And with it will come torment. Perfect love casts out fear. First John 4.18. Constantly go back there, right? Constantly fall back on this idea that my father loves me. When you're in trouble, my father loves me. When you're sinning, your father loves me. When you're scared, my father loves me. When you're hurting, my father loves me. When you're in pain, my father loves me. In everything, everything, it's my father loves me. You guys, once we get there, no, then every human relationship is a bonus. Because perfect love, you will not find here on earth with your spouse, brother, sister, friend, nobody. Cat, definitely not. <laughs> Dog, there's a possibility. <laughs> but at the end of the day, because I'm loved my, by my father, human love, which is brilliant, is a bonus. Human love, which is brilliant, is a bonus. This is how it works. I'm trying to stop you, but let me just go over these. Let's just take some time to repent if we been through any of this. So just take a couple of minutes to look at that which we've been struggling with most. Then we just ask God to help us just turn away from this, just repent from this. Cut through lack. Lack of money, lack of dignity, worth. Hey, why am I proud? I'm proud because there's a lack of dignity or worth. When you touch my dignity or worth, I become proud, I react. Why am I manipulating or controlling? Because I either lack security or you're taking away something from me that I now need to control and manipulate so I can get it back. With money, it's the same thing. Lack forces me now to do things because money is where my security lies. You have no idea how lack drives everything. Jesus didn't live like this, eh? He owned nothing, he lacked nothing. As a son, he owned nothing. As a servant, he lacked nothing. So pick one or two that you are struggling with and we just pray. Cut through limitations. Cut through the blame game. 
I'm not saying that because I'm think, thinking of anyone, and you have to just take my word for it. I'm saying it because I really think God is saying it. If churches and pastors have hate, hurt you to the point where it's really bothering you and it's devastated your faith, stop walking out of that valley. I may have done that to you. Don't make me keep you in that valley again. If you have an inheritance of money or debt, I'm not even aware of it, or sometimes if I'm aware of it, I'm not telling anything about it. Don't stay there. Touch with negativity and touch with fear. So, Father, Personally, I want this entire church to be like Jesus. 